Welcome to the Split Line Off-Road Podcast. Side by side, Borch gets a better line. Oh boy, we got wheel to wheel right here. String. Oh, and Stu Baylor right behind him. Russell gonna try to dive bomb down to the inside. No, can't get the line he wants. What is going on, everybody? Welcome to the Split Line Off-Road Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Rodney Cooper, and with me today, as always... Brandon what here, guys. What is going on? Episode 053 coming at you guys. We're excited to be back. We're going to pick up today a little bit where we left off last week. We kind of um, cut the show a little bit short because uh, I had to run to my daughter's uh, volleyball game. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, so we're gonna talk a little the um, the the bike race last weekend, mm-hmm. and then we're also going to be talking to our special guest Rob Beams, uh, trainer. You guys may know him from the training that he's done in the Supercross and Motocross world. He also does some training in uh, the GNCC world as well. Mm-hmm. Um, if you remember, a couple of weeks ago we had Mike Witakowski on, and uh, Rob trains him. Coach Rob trains him as well. So I'm really excited to to talk to him and to. Um, Listen to the differences between training a supercross rider and training a woods racer, and yeah. I'm sure there's a big difference in that um, as far as nutrition and training goes. So that's going to be an exciting conversation we have with him. Yeah, very exciting, very exciting. And uh, I don't know if you saw it or not, but do you see where Joel Hetrick uh, went out and raced the work series out I there? That's pretty cool. I did see that. I did see that. Um, I think he got third overall, if I'm not mistaken. No, he won. Oh, did, did he win? Yeah, he took the oh, overall. Shoot. Yeah, oh, that's right. That's right. He did take the but overall. But I will say the trophy looked like, looked like a three, three didn't saw, it? I, I yeah, what I thought because I saw that too, and I was like, "Oh man, he he uh, took third overall." But in fact, he did win the uh, win the event. Um, I don't really follow works too much. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know how long the races are, but I do know that he. I, I saw that he had a pit stop, so yeah, it must the, be long enough to have to have at least one pit stop. Yeah, they're like the GNCCs over here. They're just out that way. So. But they're on a track, right? Because that was at Glen Helen, right? Yeah, but they they run them. Um, it's at Glen Helen, but it's not like a um, motocross style track. It's a um, it's it's a longer like a GP style. Like so a you kind of like GNCC where they run part of the MX track and then they go over yeah. to the. Uh, go over to like the woods or the it's mostly over there desert so so it's like fifth gear wide open the entire race yeah yeah, yeah like pretty fast 80 stuff. miles an hour yeah. <laughs> stuff pretty fast stuff over there pretty crazy to go over there and win that so congratulations to joel uh uh representing the atv motocross community very well with that mm-hmm. um hey before we get too far into the episode we gotta thank our awesome sponsors yeah guts racing since 1985 they were born in northern california they've been a leader since then in seat innovation and technology if you don't trust me you gotta trust guys like thad duvall in the woods and joel hetrick who we just talked about works i bet you had a guts racing seat cover over there (laughs) uh so trust those guys um they put the best on their equipment guts racing is the best seat cover out there i don't care what you ride whether it be a quad whether it be a dirt bike whether it be your scooter I, if they made a Guts Racing seat cover for my mountain bike, I would ride it too. Speaking of Guts Racing seat, did the guy ever reach out who won? Um, he didn't yet. Who? Yet. 
He should be reaching out soon. Yep. I actually reached out to him today, but Instagram is kind of on a down, uh, downward spiral today. Nothing's working, so uh, we'll see if he reaches back out. But uh, so you guys also got to be looking forward to the next guts, gut, guts racing seat cover we'll be giving away in the month of October. I'm sure we'll be doing something with the race results from the buckwheat and if need be the iron man our menu so uh also we have seal savers man i tell you what seal savers is a new company come on this show and couldn't be more excited about them uh they are also a leader when it comes to protection and the seal saving uh category like when it comes to springs shocks uh, forks anything uh mountain bike equipment uh your dirt bike um side-by-sides trucks man i tell you what when it comes to saving your equipment there is no better company than seal savers and now you have a split line off-road discount that you can use just use capital s split line and you can save 25 percent off any product when you go to seal savers uh we're excited to be partnering up with them uh mason mills uh from from seal savers is going to be coming on the show at some point in time and uh we're excited to talk to him uh they're also um a uh, western based uh company too so it's kind of cool that uh (laughs) this west virginia uh uh podcast is uh, associated with two awesome companies out on the west coast so uh we appreciate Appreciate both of those companies coming on. Um, like I said, best seat covers in the game is Guts Racing and best seal, shock, spring protection in the game is Seal Savers. Yep. Easiest installation and uh, easiest. And it's affordable. And it's affordable. Yeah. Yes. So check them out. Make sure you do that. Uh, if you guys want to support the show, the best way to support this show is to support the people that support this show. That's right. So we appreciate that. Brandon, Let's kind of pick up, like I said, where we left off last week. Uh, we kind of r- had to run out of here in a hurry. Um, let's talk a little bit about the 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 Pro Bike Championship and what we're looking forward to. Um, um, I, I really want to spend a little bit of time talking about Stu and Ben Kelly. Yeah. Those guys yeah. are coming down to the wire. And I believe, I think you said it first, and I, I wanted to check. Point. It's a one point. Is it a one point? I'm uh, pretty sure it is. Pretty sure it's a one point lead. It is. It is. It's uh, 263 to 262. Yeah. Um, it's, so it's a one point championship right now. Stu's in the lead by one point. That Two literally means, left. I mean, that's basically a dead even. Yeah. Because whoever wins is going to take the points Correct lead. lead. Whoever finishes ahead of, so it, it's a two-man race at this point. And I don't see that these race these races coming down to anybody else. I don't think anybody else wants to get involved unless somebody you know that has the speed, like a um, uh, like a Thad Duvall oh, or a Josh Strang. Josh if he, Strang if he can get on it. Yeah, or, or Jordan Ashburn. Jordan Ashburn's mm-hmm. been on it lately. If he get if one of those guys gets out in front, they're not going to wait for the uh, wait for yeah. these two uh, to come and, and, and take the win away from them. But um, like I said, with that being said, these uh, these guys they're they're racing for the championship on their own. Um, oh, yeah, there's nobody sure. else in this at all. Um, this is probably one of the best championship series you could ask for. Uh, two races to go, uh, one point in between the two. Stu's being Stu is on a hot streak right now. We got to remember, Stu is actually a race down. Yeah. Uh, not only is he a race down, but his race back at the second race of the season wasn't a good one. He didn't have a good finish. Uh, he had some mechanical issues. But since then, Stu's been racking off win after win after win. And towards the beginning of, <clears throat> or, or towards the middle of the uh, championship series, I think he he actually took the points lead at one point in time 
and Ben took it back. So Ben kind of had that that uh, that slump early to mid-season, but now he's picked it up too. And if it wasn't for a mistake, we may be talking about a Ben Ben Kelly uh, leading the points right now, extending his points lead rather than losing the points lead in the last race. Oh yeah, uh, yeah, because Ben Kelly had had it wrapped up. He uh, I think it was like mile seven, six or seven like that. Then he came uh, through that cross point and then uh, he fell on a log. And uh, Stu got by him there and, and took over the lead, and and that's what gave him the points lead. But if it wasn't for that log, uh, Stu would probably be down, and Ben Kelly would still have that that plate. You know what missing that one race did to uh, Stu? Check this out. How many races do you think Stu has won in the uh, what is it, the ten rounds so, or eleven rounds so far? Seven. Seven. Good guess. He's won that. seven races. How many? How many do you think uh, Kelly's won? Probably. Three, two, two. Yeah. Yep. Kelly has won two races, mm-hmm. so that race down obviously hurt him. Um, but I tell you what, man, um, give it. You got to give it up to to Ben Kelly though, because he won the race coming going into the summer break. Um, he charged his way to second place at the uh, Mountaineer a couple weeks ago, and then last week he was in position to win the race, like you just said, and then ended up having uh, a mishap and went down. Um, if you don't know the full story, you could actually go on uh, Stu's uh, Instagram page and read uh, what he had posted about that because he explained everything that had happened. Um, evidently, the, the the section that that Kelly went down on the last lap, Stu had actually went down on that exact same section the lap before, so it was a very uh uh difficult section difficult section and back to back and forth i think it was actually even the same log that they went down on yeah um i'm pretty sure and then um if i'm not mistaken we had mike on uh not too long ago and he was talking about sections in the in the, the beckley race where he actually had to get off his bike and push yeah so these sections are getting pretty gnarly uh for these if if these guys are going down i hate to see what, what kind of sections they are um i'm sure oh, i mean and then you also got to think about like you know, when you're there on Friday and you're mountain biking the track, uh, what do you think that track looks like by the time you, the all the races are done Sunday? Oh, These yeah. guys are going through the worst of the worst when you talk, you know... You look at the uh, GNCC Instagram and Facebook page and they do the, uh, the, the GNCC by the numbers and they show the entries of the quads, the dirt bikes, total laps ran by every single rider and you're thousands and thousands of laps on that track oh yeah so it's it's wild um it's wild that these guys you know there's no grooming um very rarely is there watering only when they're out in a field section near pits that they do it for safety reasons but um you know these guys these guys have the worst of the worst and uh it's pretty awesome to watch them do what they do yeah i mean um tell you what i think ben kelly's kind of getting I don't want to say uh, overlooked a little bit by Stu because of the way Stu's been winning these races. But if you look back at like Mount Morris, Ben Kelly was right there on his heels. I mean, he's right there nipping at his heels. If Stu makes any mistakes, um, Kelly wins a couple of these races. You know what I mean? Um, He's just right there. He's just got to figure out the next little step to get him what Stu's got. I just don't know how Stu does it right now. I just don't know what he's doing, how he's doing it, because I think the last race he was in like sixth place or fifth place, and then after he made a mistake and all that, and the next thing you know, he's in the lead again. It's interesting, because you know how everybody, we talk a lot about these guys, and they have their knacks of what they do the best. 
I don't know if I can peg down what Stu does the best. We've watched him jump out and get a whole shot and lead from, from beginning to end. We've watched him come from through the field and pass on the last lap. Um, you know, we go over, jump over to the ATV side and we've talked a lot about how, you know, Chris Borsch was the guy that he would strategically wait until that last lap to make his move, save his energy up, uh, develop a few lines and um, learn about his competition going into that last lap. Um, <clears throat> Walker Fowler, on the other hand, jumps out and disappears from you. So you can't see him and you can't see the pace he's running. Um a lot of guys are like that um, in all types of racing. They have their, their like, this is what I do best, and this is, how, this is how I go fast. But Stu, it just seems like whatever situation he's thrown into, he's excelling in, whether it be fighting his way up through the pack, pulling a move where he has to make something happen on the last lap, or whether that be just controlling the race from the front. It looks like he kind of goes in with a different game plan, um, to find his way into uh, breaking that rear fender at the end of the race every every week. <laughs> yeah, um, I think he's just at that point in, in his career where he's like, I can be almost anywhere as long as this bike is running right or running where I, how I can get it to the front. I'm getting it to the front. You know, um, I think that's just his mentality. I think confidence. it's the confidence. Mm -hmm. I think it's the team, the support behind him. I think he's you know just everything about him right now, the way he sits. I think he could say I could starting the second line and almost win this thing and it's in his head you know what i mean yeah um i tell you i don't know if you caught the the race interviews or whatever it seemed like ben kelly was just a little little upset i don't know if it was about Stu or if he's just getting frustrated because he's I'm right sure, there or what it is i'm sure it's frustration that's setting in a little bit because you know um he was put in a perfect position to win this championship and and I'm sure there's been a lot of little mistakes that's happened throughout the year that has cost him that whole race down that that Stu had. You know, he, he was able – he was in a position to where, you know, to be frank, he could have put this, this championship away oh, yeah. early. But not being able to do that, and now he's in a dogfight, I'm sure that's frustrating. Yeah. Because he said something about he wanted to rub this one in Stu's face, like kind of like Stu's been rubbing it in his a little bit, and I didn't know how to take that. I didn't know if he if he if Stu's actually been doing something like off camera or if it's just been on Instagram, well, or social media. You or, know, Stu Stu has a swagger, yeah. <laughs> or uh, that's a probably a wrong word to use for him, but he has a mentality that that he's confident in himself, and I guess it could come across as arrogant. Mm -hmm. um, I'm sure that Ben doesn't love the bike flipping thing. Uh, that's a really mixed uh, review that's, with the fans. Yeah, I mean, uh, but regardless, it is what it is. It's like, if you don't like it, stop it. Maybe we should put that on a vote. Should if Stu wins, should Stu do the flip? I mean, but the thing is, is it, you're right. Well, it's a controversial topic, but I feel like my thing is, is. It's entertainment, yeah. And people are talking about it now, regardless of whether it's good or not. Mm -hmm. People talking about it is the most important thing. Like we heard it on Pulp. Yeah. People were talking about it on Pulp last week. Well, here's here's my thing. Like in motocross, supercross, and any kind of form of racing, be NASCAR or you know whatever we watch. So supercross, you got you know you're winning a race, you throw a big whip over the or you know Jeremy McGrath's knack knack or you know what I mean, uh, Marvin Muscan's hill clicker. Well, Stu Baylor doesn't have a jump to do on the finish line to celebrate. Um, 
You know what I mean? So he doesn't have that. NASCAR, you know, they win to go down in the grass and to do burnouts, mm-hmm. you know? Um, he, I think the, the flip is just something he can do. Like, there's no, you know, he can't do a burnout on the podium. He can't, you know, there's all these limitations to him. How, how does he celebrate his wins? Yeah. Yeah. No, no, and you're exactly right. And the thing is, is the more people that hate it, the more, the more he's going to want to do it. it. Yeah. And, and, you know, people are like, you disrespect the bike, this, you do that. Listen, that bike's getting rebuilt. That bike's get that bike that bike is torn down to the frame within 24 hours. Right. Well, that's what I I, I I don't know if you saw where the mechanic went down and was holding the pits. I'm like, please don't do that. Make my life easy. You know, don't make my life any harder by flipping. He the mechanic asked him not to do it on the pit board down in the woods. But I'm like, dude. You, I didn't see that. Yeah, you didn't see that. Was it a joke though? Well, that's what I don't know. I don't. Know I if it bet was you a, that was a joke. I don't know if it was a joke, or if he was being serious. I'm sure that was egging it on. I guarantee you, there's no. Okay, so in that team, in the it, that Yamaha team, I guarantee you, they're not going to be. They're not going to be. Ru- they're not going to be causing conflict yeah. it, when they're in the middle of a heated championship battle. If Stu wants to let, set the bike on fire after the after the after the race, after a win, after winning the highest level of off road racing that you can win, mm-hmm. if he wants to per- burn that burn that bike to the ground, they're not going to say anything. No, they're going to give him a new bike in two weeks to do it again. No, they and might. whether you like it or not, that's not the point. The point is, 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 it's different yeah. and it's fun and it's not the same old same like you see in you gotta, Supercross, you see in Motocross, and unfortunately, Caleb Russell fell into that as well, yeah. into that mold of 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 business and and the, the winning didn't even look really look fun anymore yeah. right well, i mean you get a fist bump and that's all you get it's you like, get a fist what, bump and you what don't is that? You, you hardly get a smile and i but i understand what i mean you look at you look at ryan dungey you look at ryan villapoto mm-hmm. those guys retired early uh it wasn't fun anymore yeah make racing fun again yeah our friends over at the at the bottleneck live they preach that to to no end make racing fun again and i'm 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 on it like yeah. you know and whatever you know, if it gets fans screaming in, in a good way, yeah. do it. Yeah. Do it. It's not hurt. I, so you have to replace the fender. As, as long as that bike doesn't leave the track and hit somebody, we're good. Right? As long as it doesn't cross banners and take someone out, we're good. And it's never looked it's like never, it's been no, in, in no, a no, situation. Never, I'm just that. saying, right. as long as it doesn't get dangerous. I guess, the, I guess the only way it could get dangerous is if, because is, it did break a handlebar this yeah. weekend, is mm-hmm. if the bike would get stuck wide open mm-hmm. and somehow find its way back on its wheels. <laughs> yeah, that would be bad. But I will say this. Have you noticed, because the first time he did it was last year at the Mountaineer, correct? Mm-hmm. Have you noticed that he's getting better at it? Oh, yeah. When he did it at the Mountaineer. It was a complete backflip. When he did it at the Mountaineer? No. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, this last week. This yes. last, I mean, it almost went. No, when, what? Yeah. That when been. he did it at the Mountaineer last year, he belly flopped while he was doing it because yeah. he wasn't used to doing it. Yeah. And then he and then he stumbled the next time. And then now it just looks like he just like steps off and like just kind of walks yeah. to it. So it's it's kind of funny how good he's getting at it. <laughs> well, I mean, you want to I mean, how, how often do you practice looping out your bike? Right. I mean, he, he gets a lot of practice every weekend. I mean, Stu's had, <laughs> Stu's had seven times this year to practice, yeah. and I'm pretty sure a couple of times he didn't do it. Yeah, probably. Um, yeah, like I said, it, it's it's a controversy. 
I don't see nothing wrong with it as long as no one's getting hurt. That bike's getting rebuilt anyways, top to bottom. You know it is. That thing's coming in prime. Yeah. They're, yeah. No, they're taking those parts off anyways. I mean, if it's just, a, you know. And let's be honest. Let's be honest. Stu Baylor has been harder on that bike on the track at, at, at points in every single one of those races. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That guy, I, I guarantee you. He's wrecked probably almost every single race oh, at yeah. least once. Oh, yeah. Right? These, these guys I mean, are going he, down. A couple of weeks ago, he talked about wrecking, wrecking when he was third gear pinned. Yeah. You don't think that bike took more of a beating then? Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? That's what I'm saying. These guys are running three-hour races hard as you can run them through these woods, and they're going down. And what, what do you expect? So, like you said, I mean, these things are getting rebuilt. I don't see the problem with it as long as, you know – it, it is what it is. Yeah. You know, they get two weeks to rebuild a bike. It's not like they're rebuilding yeah. it. And like I said, if you're a racer and you don't like it, stop it, right? That's all yeah. you have to do. Yeah. Just finish ahead of him and he yeah. won't do it. <laughs> right. Right. I mean, like I said. It's, That's it's, like people talk like when uh, at football games and they talk like it's disrespectful to run the score up. <laughs> Okay, stop them, defense. That's right. Right? right. I mean, that's all it is. <laughs> if you don't like it, stop it. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Exactly. So let's talk a little bit about the nutrition and health and wellness aspect of, of GNCC Very racing. Very good topic because we're coming in the off-season. Yep, it's a good topic. All we're coming you bet the off season. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, we, uh, we had Ethan on um, – you know, a, a few months ago yeah. and had his take on it. And, I, um, Rob's pro is coming from, from the bike side, uh, probably some different takes. So it's cool to get different. Cause there's, there's more than one oh, way. Yeah. There's one more skin a cat, right? There's more than one way to skin a cat. So <laughs> we're going to get Rob, coach Rob beams on. And I want to talk to him a little bit about, you know, his past, where he's come from. So you guys know exactly who he is yes. and what he's about and, uh, what he does, what he does in the GNCC world. So we're going to go ahead and get him on. All right, guys, we're back, and we got Coach Rob Beams uh, calling into the show. We're excited to have him on. Uh, he's done a lot in the motocross and supercross and the GNCC world as well. Yeah. Coach, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks so much, guys, for having me, man. It's uh, it's sincerely an honor, and uh, congratulations on your show. I've been listening to the, the previous ones, and they, uh, I, they just get better and better. I, I love the depth that you're bringing into it. I like the way that you're giving a little bit more insight, even if it's making predictions on, hey, who's fifth place? Who's going to be third? I love those type of contests. So you guys are bringing a, a unique perspective and, and keep up the good work. It's awesome. Thank you. Yeah, we thank you for that. We appreciate the kind words as well. Um, Coach, uh, Coach Rob, for, for those of you, for those of the people that may not know um, what you have done in your past, um, can you give us a brief history about, about your, uh, uh, the work that you've done in the racing world? Sure. Um, I've been in, I've been in moto since 78. Um, still as much of a fan about racing as I am entrenched in the industry. Um, depending on whether you want to go motocross or whether you want to go supercross. Um, I've been very fortunate, you know, on the off-road side of the world. I've worked with Charlie Mullins, Chris Bach. Um, I've worked with Roman Brown when he was with Yamaha on the quads, uh, worked with Ben and Luke Parsons and, uh, currently work with Mike Witowski. Um, if you go out to the West Coast, we work with the Kilmartin, uh, the Works KTM factory team out there. And a lot of people may not know, it, but I actually have my own Moto E off-road division as well. We have a group of athletes that we work with, uh, Glenn Curry and Kate Nash. Uh, Kate Nash is on the Blue Crew team. So 
been uh, very fortunate to work with some of the best in the off-road world over on the motocross world. I've worked with a couple people you might know, uh, <laughs> Ryan Dungey, Adam C., the Martin Brothers, Ian Treadle, Ashley Filick. Um, but, you know, it's it's not so much the industry knows who they are. I just feel so fortunate because they're cool people. You know, all the mm-hmm. people that I mentioned, they're willing to put in the hard work. Um, I, Being in the sport for as many years as I have, I've seen a lot of changes from when information wasn't available. I, My journey took me from racing motocross. My first motorcycle was a 78 RM80. Uh, then I got a 79 YZ80. And then I actually was fortunate enough to pick up Bob Hanna's YZ125 from Daytona. So that was a big jump from the 85 to the 125. Uh, raced that for about a year. And then my a guy I went to high school with was racing BMX at the time. And my dad was kind of enamored on the how inexpensive BMX was. <laughs> so he, he pulled us out of racing for uh, pretty much. And we were allowed to ride, but racing really wasn't something that was on there. So I, I pursued bicycle racing pretty aggressively, got to uh, – ironically racing against Eli Tomac's uh, dad, John, racing against him for numerous years. Um, ended up getting, I ended up going pro, getting eighth in the world at the world championships and then went off to college. And then my dad decided it was time for me to say goodbye to BMX and to stay focused on college. Got to college, decided that I would take up the sport of triathlon because my roommate was doing Ironman New Zealand. And, um, Got into triathlons and was fortunate enough to qualify for a developmental program at the Olympic Training Center as an athlete. So uh, was on the development team there, then got hit by a car, taking a buddy to the airport. And unfortunately, when you get injured like that, you're pretty much a lame duck, especially on the developmental side. Um, But I had learned quite a bit at the training center, uh, finished my degree in business and computer science, and then went back for a master's in exercise science. And then went back and got a massage therapy license. And then I just started entrenching myself as a full-time performance coach. This is going to be my 38th year. So, wow. again, showing my age. <laughs> well, that's a, lot of that's a experience. number we don't like to talk about. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> but, uh, no, I, you know, the truth of the matter is I, I really did not want to get into the two world, the two anything that races – I didn't want to get into when it involves a motor because I'm such a big fan of the sport. And I found this in the triathlon side of things. Our biggest coaching division is the multi-sport. That would be triathlon. That would be marathons and mountain bike racing. That's our biggest division. The problem that I ran into is if I go to a triathlon, people are like, hey, can you get me a Garmin heart rate monitor? Hey, can you get me? Um, I own my own supplement company and my own drink company. They're like, hey, can I get some free energy fuel? Hey, can I? <laughs> and so I didn't even want to get into the motocross and the off-road side of the world. But then do you guys remember the Toyota Moving Forward program? Yes. Mm-hmm. So I got hit up by Toyota. And they said, hey, we hear that you've got this program. We'd like you to come on board. I said, nah, I'm not interested. I, I love the sport, but I don't want to get so close to it that I can't enjoy the sport. I think you guys can appreciate that. Yes, yes. They they kept kept after me, kept after me. So I went ahead and I took on the, the Toyota program. Once I took on the Toyota program, Ronnie Tishner had found out about our program. So he was the reason why I got the opportunity to work with Adam C. on 85s. Uh, he was also working with Ashley Filick, so I got to work with her when she was at Factory Honda, and I got to work with Ian Treadle when he had just signed with Suzuki, 
when the whole Suzuki program was really big with Cole Gress and everything. So that just kind of germinated and started to take off. And next thing I know, you know, I, I'm, I have the privilege of working with the people that we mentioned earlier. And uh, so here we are. We, uh, we're the largest uh, coaching company in motocross and off-road. We have 237 amateur national titles, and we have four AMA number one pro plates. Awesome. So it's fun, but like I always say to the listeners, uh, those results are only because the athletes are willing to put in the sweat equity. I, I like to help guide the effort, but at the end of the day, the listeners are the one putting in the sweat equity. Uh, we're very, very fortunate. Most of our clients are going to be the guys that are working full-time, have a family. They want to go fast on the weekend. It's not just the Mike Witowskis of the world or the Kill Martin works racing team. Um, I resonate more. I have three children. You know, um, I, I, I like trying to find that balance. It's People have heard me say this before. My biggest frustration is somebody who has all day to train and you call them at 11 o'clock and they're not even out of bed yet. <laughs> you know? yeah. And I've got, yeah, think about the listeners. By 11 o'clock, they may have already hit the gym in the morning. They've already gotten to the office or got to the job site. You know, they've already been on their feet for three or four hours. They're getting ready to take their first break. And I got, I've got other riders that, you know, when all they have is all day to train. So I, I can resonate way more with the guy or the girl that's trying to balance life instead of, having so much time, they become a little bit more complacent if we can use that word. But, uh, that's the elevator pitch. That's how we got to where we're at today. And, um, it's such a small little world, you know, because you guys were mentioning last week, you know, Charlie Mullins smashing the e-bike category. Now, um, talking about a small little world, I don't know. Did you guys catch Ty Teasdale? He's one of the young guys. It's in the top five in that e-bike mountain yeah. bike racing. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Well, his brother is Isaac Teasdale, and some of you guys may remember him. Yes. He was battling for the Babbitt's Kawasaki team in the arena cross and was also riding for Phoenix Honda before going over to JGR. So a lot of people don't realize uh, Ty Teasdale has got a, a heck of a pedigree, and I'm going to let your listeners in on a dirty little secret. <laughs> Ty Teasdale on a dirt bike will run circles around Isaac. Wow. Absolutely really? runs the fastest most talented guy and ty is probably going to kill me for saying this the reason why he didn't pursue racing at the elite level is because he doesn't like to do interviews <laughs> he's very 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 shy and the fear of that he's like nope but yet we would go to a track and, and he ty would just completely dive underneath isaac and isaac is a fantastic rider yeah but ty's that much better so yeah. just a little fyi when you see ty uh, let them know you got a little bit, little bit of secret in on them. Great family all the way around. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. Good people. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you mentioned about all of your experience, um, the years and the pedigree that you have. And, and what I really like about taking away from that is that you enjoy working with the average guy the most, because let's be honest, that's what 99.9% of, of, of dirt bike and ATV riders out there, um, is your average guy that's working the nine to five, um, or, you know, the 12 hour shifts a day. And then, yeah. and then, and then finding time to work on their bike, finding time to, to ride their stationary bike or whatever it may be to get ready to go to a GNCC race. Um, um, and, and that's what we love most about the GNCC community is the fact that it is the working class community. And, um, 
the the measures that most of these people go through during the week just to get to the races is unbelievable, let alone trying to exactly. find time to, to eat healthy and work out. That's exactly it. Um, I can't even imagine, and, and I, I say this out of no disrespect to the Moto Supercross community, you can't run and hide when you're looking at 90 minutes to three hours, depending on what class you're in. And you can't run from fitness. You can't run from, and that fitness could be a combination of strength and endurance. Um, you guys are pushing 400-pound quads around, 200-pound motorcycles across mud holes, tremendous elevation gains, threading the needle through the trees. The amount of blood sugar that it takes to be able to stay that focused a lot of people don't realize that your liver provides the sugar for your brain. So if you think about the human body has two gas tanks, it has the muscles, that muscle stores sugar, allows you to move. Well, your brain's ability to think comes from your liver. Well, it's one thing to be going fast on an open motocross track, and that has its unique challenges, but to thread the needle through the trees with other people, especially once you guys get into lappers and then bottlenecks and, and mud holes and crossings and uphills and downhills, rock gardens, the amount of sugar that is that is pulled from the liver, it's amazing that more people don't get hurt in the off-road world, to be honest with you. Yeah. yeah. You know? What I, uh, I think is probably one of the most uh, exerting things, and we talked to Mike a little bit about it when he was on a couple weeks ago, sure. is I feel like at a GNCC race, whether you're on a quad, a quad or a bike, you have a much, much higher chance and probability that you are at some point in time going to have to come off of the bike, pick the bike back up, and recover. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, quad, I, I remember there was a, a couple of years ago where I had to push the bike up the hill off of a tree, and I never recovered from that. It was only a 10, 10 to 15 second episode. But my heart rate spiked, and I just never recovered from that in the race. And that's something that, that is unique, I think, to the GNCC community. It really is. And, and you, you guys talked to Mike about it, and I just wanted to elaborate just to clarify. Remember how he was mentioning, you know, you have to learn how to actively recover when that heart rate kind of bounces off that rev limiter? Mm -hmm. There are certain ways that you can train, and we could do an entire show on this if the <laughs> listeners get back to you and they and they want more info. We're happy to share it. You've got to you've got to have a foundation of strength, and a lot of people underestimate that. They think, well, if I'm going to race for 90 minutes to three hours, I have to have endurance. You're exactly right. If we draw a parallel between the body and the motorcycle, your strength base is the size of your piston. Your aerobic engine, your endurance, is going to be the size of the carburetor. Now, I know a lot of people are EFI, and they're like, what the heck is that, right? <laughs> but, but if you go back to, if I can get you strong enough, that means that you can push and pull a motorcycle or a quad around. That's good. The question is, is how long can you push and pull before that muscle becomes fatigued? That's known as muscular endurance. A lot of people confuse that as cardiovascular endurance. Significant difference. Hmm. Now, you take that, and then you do build an aerobic engine, i.e. the size of your carburetor. Well, Let's, let's go into the garage and build the bike. I'm going to show my age here. We're going to take a Mako 490 Spider <laughs> or a YZ465, okay? Yeah. You're going to put that oversized carb on there, but then we grab an 85 pipe and stick it on there. Mm. Now, anybody that builds motorcycles will go, you're an idiot, right? <laughs> yeah. You've got this huge bore. You've got this huge carburetor, but you have no way to get the, the, the combustion out of the motor. Well, that's where we look at building an aerobic engine. 
And for the listeners that think, oh, man, going out and doing those bike rides, they're so boring at a low intensity. Well, what it does is it increases the amount of capillary beds in the muscle, which is essentially a freeway. Gets oxygen in, gets the metabolic byproduct out. It's your carburetor. So like you're saying, I think a lot of people go to the gym and they train completely the wrong way. They think, well, I've got to get my heart rate pinned. You heard Mike say last week his average heart rate's 200. Yeah. Okay. Well, I don't want the listeners to go out there and, and we work exclusively with a Garmin platform. So I have the ability when Mike is done, I can go in and we literally scrape the data and I can tell you what his average heart rate was. I could tell you what his max heart rate was. I could tell you what his calorie burn rate was per hour. You guys were talking about, and I, I loved what you said. How do you get through that third hour? Yeah. Well, we say this in our marathon world. The race really doesn't begin until you get to mile 20. Then you just have a 10K that you have to finish. <laughs> and you, you hit the nail on the head. It doesn't do you any good to be Stu and be leading at the one hour mark. It doesn't do you any good to be Mike and be leading at the two-hour mark. You want to be Stu or Mike at that three-hour mark. And what you do up to that two hours is just about preserving, you guys said it the best, not letting the heart rate get so high that you can't recover. But you've got to do that away from the track. And, and like you said, I know a lot of the listeners are like, but I only have 17 minutes a day. Yeah. Okay. Spend those 17 minutes either getting stronger or going for – a walk, a run, a swim, a mountain bike, something, and ironically do it at a relatively low intensity. That surprises a lot of people. Yeah, that's weird. You would think that you'd want to get your heart rate up to get used to it. You know, um, uh, I, that's me. Like me, my biggest thing is, is like, I'm strong. I'm, I, I can go bench press 315 pounds probably. Okay. And, but I'm not an endurance person. Like when, I, when it's long distance, like I'll fade, and that's just that's sure. the way I've been my whole life. I've been a sprinter, like when I ran track, sprint, you know, just been that type of football. person. Yeah, football. Yeah, you know, ten yep. yards. You only need ten yards. You know, ten yards, ten yards. <laughs> that's 10 right. Yards. Um, so I've always yep. been that person. And then like when I go do hair, like a look when I started doing hair scrambles, local hair scrambles, I would go run these races, and then I would come back to the truck, and I would be so cramped. My wife would have to pull my clothes off of me. I would lay in the back seat and she would have to drive me home and I'd be back there like Charlie horses and my legs and my <laughs> yeah. everything. It's insane. Well, and that's, you bring up something that's very important because a lot of times people say, well, I'm cramping because fill in the blank. I'm dehydrated. Yeah. That obviously could be the case. What we find is it's, there's actually three reasons why you'll cramp. Either A, you're dehydrated, B, you're electrolyte depleted, or C, you've, sub you've submitted the muscle tissue to too much load, more than it's familiar with. For you, it's the perfect storm because the hair scrambles are short and fast. But if you add up each one of those special tests, look at the amount of load that you put on your body. If you just literally stopped and started your stopwatch. You could be 90 minutes to two hours at right above or right below anaerobic threshold. Mm -hmm. So now your depletion rate is at an all-time high. So you are literally the perfect storm cramping up in the backseat. Yeah. <laughs> perfect storm. You did everything that you could have done to, to destroy yourself. You just did it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that sounds about right. That sounds right. <laughs> yep. Now, I want to be very clear. I don't want our listeners to think, hey, Rob said go out and only do low intensity. You got to remember, just like you have different gears on your bike, you've got strength to help you pull your bike out of a mud hole. You got to have strength to be able to push and pull, thread the needle. 
through the trees. You have to have enough muscular endurance to do it for 90 minutes to three hours, depending on our listener. And then you do have to remember how you guys were saying to Mike, hey, how do you get comfortable with that 200 heart rate? Mm -hmm. Well, it's what we refer to as the familiarity principle. You do have to get the body acclimated to what does that intensity feel like? Now, when people hear Mike's heart rate being on average 200, if you're looking at your heart rate data and your max is 182, yeah, there could be some fitness associated with that. But please don't go out and just because you hear Mike or Stu or somebody say, hey, I'm, my max is 200, don't strive to get to 200. You've got to remember the fitter you get. Now, this is a crazy number. This is a crazy principle when you hear Mike's numbers. The fitter you are the lower your max heart rate because your heart is just like your biceps. Mm -hmm. Your heart pumps a certain volume of blood per minute enough to deliver oxygen. As the oxygen demands go up, the heart rate automatically increases. You're thinking, well, how in the heck can Mike be out there at a heart rate of 200? Well, because he's actually fit enough to probably be at 215 to 220. That's the scary part. Yeah, that's very <laughs> And he's fit. Yeah. And he's fit. Now, what's crazy is look at the calorie burn. If you look at some of these guys burning upwards of a thousand calories per hour, and then look at this is a bunch of scientific jargon, but just think about it in a numbers term. You'll have an athlete that's burning a thousand calories an hour in a GNCC, but the most that your body can take in is 300 calories an hour. Otherwise, your gastrointestinal tract will back up. Mm -hmm. So, where do you get that 700 calorie gap stored fat? But wait a second, the intensity is high, so we're burning more sugar. That's why your camelback is your best friend on a three-hour race, even a 90-minute race. Yeah. Because you've only got about an hour of stored energy, and then you go into what we call low-sugar mode. Crazy stuff, isn't it, when oh, you look at his wild. numbers? Very, it's wild. Yeah. I, I love this stuff. I, I really enjoy the science behind the working out and stuff. What's interesting, and we've mentioned both names, and they couldn't be more opposite when it comes to body types, is Mike... Witkowski and Stu Baylor. Sure. Stu, Stu's that big, strong, burly guy, and he jokes a lot. A lot of guys joke a lot, and he feeds into it with the whole dad bod thing. <laughs> but, I mean, let's be very clear on how much of an athlete and in shape he is. And I, I, I have to wonder, is his size helpful when it comes to this style of racing? Um, whereas, you know, in the motocross world, it almost seems – the smaller and more ripped guys are the ones that excel in those sprinting um, um, atmospheres. Well, this answer may surprise you. And the question is maybe because <laughs> okay. like if I, like if I had a chance to work with Stu, there's ways that I can test his anaerobic threshold, his lactate tolerance, strength to weight ratios. Uh, two variables that I'm very, very big on are critical speed and threshold of fatigue. So just think about that. How fast can Stu go critical speed? And how long can he maintain that threshold of fatigue before he starts to get tired? So I could test that and then I could make some adjustments to his training program. And then I can, believe it or not, you can find that you can calculate the point of diminishing returns where the athlete does get too lean, that they do lose the strength and the endurance. So that's why I say your question is a really good one, but it's a question of maybe because we may test them. We might thin them out and actually see his numbers go the wrong way, well, then mm -hmm. you know, okay, you're not in that sweet spot. 
but there's not anybody that has a science background. Like, for example, when you calculate VO2 max, that's just an acronym for volume of oxygen uptake. It's a, it's a measurement of aerobic capacity. If I decrease your body fat, I've automatically improved your VO2 max because when we calculate that, your VO2, excuse me, your body fat percentage is factored into the calculation of your VO2 max. So I don't need to make you uncomfortable and gag you with all these breathing apparatus to see and test, did your VO2 max go from a 51 to a 53? If I know your body fat went down, your VO2 max is 100% gone up. It's just a mathematical calculation. Now, to your point, would Stu be better if he was 3% less body fat? I cannot answer that definitively until I test him. Because there'll be some at, there'll be some person that will say, oh, if he's lighter, he's going to be better. Well, you don't know that. You don't know that. Everybody's different, right? Everybody's different. Look at Charlie Mullins. I mean, when I was working with Charlie, he looked like a triathlete. He's super lean. Look at Caleb Russell. He's extremely lean. Mm-hmm. Uh, both have pretty good results. Not bad. Pretty good. <laughs> not too okay. shabby. <laughs> yeah, not too shabby. And then you look at Stu, or, and then you look at even Thad and some of the other guys. They, they are thick. They're broad shoulder, thick boned. And but yet look at Thad's had great results. I mean, we could go through the list and both 250 and 450. It's as you say, it's not a one body type fits all. And to your comment about most of the moto guys look excessively thin, is it any irony attached to the idea that we have an incredible problem with Epstein Barr fatigue related diseases mm-hmm. like Addison's disease that's took out Marchbanks, Hammaker, and Dean Wilson? Yeah, I say to it all your the point, time. I say it all the time. Yeah. I think these guys are too small. To be honest, they are. But we, the problem is, is you have arrogant trainers that make it about them and there's no recourse for bad decisions. I believe, and you're going to see a lot of this coming from Moto E, I believe in coach accountability. I, if I ever were to, if I ever wrote an athlete to the point of exhaustion, I think I should give every single penny back I've ever paid. And that is a platform that is what we believe in. I'm getting ready to launch a Moto E coaching certification program. And what it's about is coach accountability. If we as a company ever run somebody into the ground, I don't care if I have a waiting list of a thousand clients. If I ever ruin your health, I will give you every dollar we've ever given you've ever given us because where's the accountability? You have a trainer that roaches a kid's health. And because he's an ex-pro or he's got all these credentials with other people. But if you look at the success rate versus how many people's lives they've ruined, where's the accountability in that? They just move on to whoever else is in the, is in the funnel. That, that's not cool. Our sport is getting eaten alive by uneducated trainers. I've said this numerous times. I have had hundreds of 250s, but Mitch Payton should not hire me as a mechanic. <laughs> but I've read a lot of manuals. So just because you're inside of a rig or because you have these so-called, uh, you've got these so-called success stories, let's get underneath the hood a little bit. Who did you burn up? Who did you chew up? Whose careers did you ruin for those one or two championships you got? What about the 15 guys that you ruined? Yeah. Well, we don't talk about that. Those guys are now sitting in a corner sucking their thumb because they're exhausted and they're, you know, that's what I, I don't want to sound like I'm getting on a soapbox first time being on your show, but coach accountability. It's, if it doesn't 
become a priority. If these team owners, I mean, I, I'm proud to work with Mike. I'm proud to work, you know, with Kate Nash and those guys. But I have a responsibility to them as human beings before excellent racers. That's why you'll always see our, our, our platform is health, wellness, and performance. And it disgusts me when I get somebody that comes to my program and they've been literally eaten alive because, you know, if I have somebody, let's just say they are a pro and they're like, but I've got to go race next weekend. I'm like, yeah, but your adrenals are smoked. It's like saying that you've got a bike with a bunch of bold new graphics on it, but the bike has been ridden in the mud. It's been run low on oils, been run low on radiator fluid. And the bike's been excessively stressed beyond what it shows on the hour meter. You still have a bike that is overstressed. So go take it to something like snowshoe where there's a lot of elevation. How confident are you going to be in that bike knowing it's excessively stressed? Right. You wouldn't. And right. that's, the, that's the dangerous part. Right. And then another thing that, you know, uh, with the Epstein bar that you see in the motocross and supercross world and the guys are smaller and we joke, we, we joke around a lot about like, you know, Stu, his size, mm -hmm. he's durable, right? Yes. Well, part of that's true. Um, yes. When it comes to injuries, you don't, and I know that you can really honestly say that also it's speed as well, but you don't see the injuries coming out of the off-road world that you do in the motocross world um and i it, like i said i know a lot of it's due to speed and jumps and closer faster racing but i think a lot of it is also fragile <laughs> i mean if you're depleted and you're, you're already tired you're not going to be as durable when you in fact do hit that ground you're 100 correct if you have a bike that has 100 hours on it it's not a reliable bike and that's what I love about the heart rate monitor. The heart rate monitors have come to a point now where not only do I use the heart rate monitor. Now, um, I need you to reverse engineer this. If you come to me and say what I lack is that opening lap sprint speed, I've got to get out away from everybody. Well, let's just say that we do an assessment and you've got to get the heart rate above 175 before you actually start to improve your anaerobic, your sprint speed. We refer to it as lactate tolerance or anaerobic threshold. Well, if you know what that quantified number is and you're willing to dedicate the work to improve your sprint speed, but you keep going out and doing intervals and you only get the heart rate up to 160, you see that familiarity principle? You haven't gotten a heart rate high enough, so you've never really improved your weakness. So that's where a heart rate monitor is priceless. But now they've gone the other way. They also tell me how much sleep you got last night. They tell me how much deep sleep did you receive? How many sleep cycles did you get? I, the new watches have, uh, the new garments have a, what's called a body battery. And it's exactly what the name implies. Your goal is to get to 100%, 100% charged. So even though I write my schedules for my clients and I send them out on Friday for next week, we always let the heart, the body battery, the heart rate monitor, gives us a snapshot and i again i could talk to you guys for hours on this when you're looking at if asking the question is my body recover recovered enough today based on what i did yesterday you've got to have some non-emotional ways to evaluate it in the past it used to be on resting heart rate and body weight that was pretty much all we had mm -hmm. well now you've got sleep cycles hours of deep sleep hours of light sleep because the light rejuvenates your brain, the deep sleep rejuvenates you at a hormonal level. 
Well, now we can really answer the question, are you ready to train? I've just been recently approached by a couple of high-profile agents, and we have created what's called the Moto E Health and Performance Report Card. And what we're able to do is we're – I love the word that you brought up, durability with Stu. He's a very durable athlete. We have created a performance report card where we're able to scrape the data, performance, and sleep. We actually can scrape blood results from the doctor. We can scrape your food logs. We, we use what we call platforms. We have 13 platforms that we evaluate. The first one is, is the athlete ready to train today? But what, they, what these two agents have recognized is if I can go to a team owner, if, if I can go to a manager, and I can show that you're looking at two different riders, and with my rider, I can show you his durability. I can show you how long he's gone since he's been sick. I can show you how long he's gone since he's been injured. I can differentiate my client from yours because I have a performance report card. Now, the beautiful part is there's no way for us to tweak the numbers. The way that the software is designed, it goes in, it scrapes the data in real time. We pull it out of the Garmin network. And now, again, this is with the permission of the athlete. But what we do is we take and look at 13 different platforms. And, for example, if the heart rate is elevated and the body battery is low, what, what would cause that? So our, our data our Excel spreadsheets goes in and it goes in. I'm just doing this as a very 10,000 foot view. If your body battery is not recovered, what we do is we go look at your sleep. How did your sleep look? Did you get eight hours? Check. Did you get two hours of deep sleep? Check. All right. So you pass the sleep test. Well, then we go and we look at the next level. What was your calorie burn rate yesterday? Active and resting compared to your food log of what you took in. Oh, there's an 1,100 calorie gap between what you burnt and what you took in. The, the evaluation stops because we found why the body's excessively stressed and why it didn't actively recover. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it does. And that's the part where the agent is like, okay, I can go to any owner and I can show that you, the rider you're thinking about putting a contract under is going to deliver what you ask. He can go the distance at the speed you want, critical speed and, and threshold of fatigue. He's going to represent the way you want. We can look at the characteristics of the race. We might sprint early and hit cruise control. We might negative split it, which means second half of the race is faster than the first. We might toggle up and down, sprint, cruise, sprint, cruise. <clears throat> Pardon me, but all we're trying to do is influence the race. I liked what you guys asked uh, Mike last week when you said, hey, what were your expectations? And he said, I want to humbly say I can win. Well, Mike's going to fire me for saying this, but <laughs> our goal going to the race was we just wanted to influence the front of the, the, front of the race. Yeah. We wanted to latch on and get up there and influence. And if you look, he never really left Johnny's rear wheel. And then if you look, you notice how he moved in front of Johnny. And then, of course, we made a mistake in that last, you know, and we got past and finished third. But it, we knew after that race it wasn't a fitness issue anymore. We knew it wasn't a fatigue issue anymore. Because you got to remember, I've only been working with Mike for about, I think, three months. 
it wasn't until when the wheels fell off the bus that he called me and said, hey, I know something's not right. I had the privilege of working with Mike about a year and a half ago. And, you know, teams have trainers and stuff like that. So he had to go a different direction, which I respect. I mean, I've lost Jordan Bailey the same way. I lost Adam C the exact same way. You know, you sign with these teams, you have to go certain programs. So I don't, you know, when our goal was to turn Mike's program around, we had to get all the numbers that you were just referencing relevant to Stu Mm -hmm. and say, okay, where are we at? We know what the demands of the race is, but we had to get a couple of races with heart rate data. Because even though we had trained, you know, because he even mentioned to you that he was asked not to race snowshoes so he could get healthy. Yeah. That was about the time that, you know, I was brought into the fold well, I hadn't had any race information from him yet. So we needed this last, the race that we just had this past weekend at Burr Oak. That was more of a data collection race than anything else with the desire to influence the race at the front. Hmm. But we have different strategies coming up. You know, like you guys said, we have a couple of races left. We have West Virginia. And then, of course, we go to um, Ironman. We're going there for reasons that people probably won't even understand. Would we like to win? Yeah. That's what we train to do. But the way that we intend on doing it is going to be a little bit different and quite a surprise to people, I think. Hmm. It'll be fun. Yeah, for sure. Uh, To mom and dads out there that are listening, and me and Rodney here, me and Cooper, we both have kids. And as we know, racing kids, you know, especially as young, like I got a five-year-old. We both got five-year-olds. There's kids that race between four, clear up to 18 how do you, or what do you recommend to the parents about like how to get them stronger, how to get them, uh, how do you get them to, I don't want to say workout, because I know weightlifting is not good for them. Most, I think it's mostly body weight stuff kind of deals for them. Is, is, that, is that what it is? Or you, you made a comment there, and if you don't mind elaborating, what, what's the apprehension? What is your experience about why weight training is not good? Well, that's just everything that... I was always told you should, you know, your muscles stunt, you know, stunt the muscle growth or just, you know, stunt, just mostly stunt growth and stuff like that. So that, that's what I always was told. I don't know how true, yeah. you know, you, you yeah, it's more not, <laughs> yeah, it's not true at all. I mean, unless the, the, uh, unless the child has not hit puberty yet, cause then the load bearing exercises could stunt growth because we, we have a tendency to smash those growth plates. But this is what makes our sport so difficult. I would be completely remiss to go on a public podcast such as yours and tell parents of prepubescent children to say, yeah, let's get them in the gym. Let's load them up, (laughs) you know. But then on the flip side, we put them on an 85 that weighs 120, 130 pounds, and then we have them go and thread the needle through the woods. (laughs) So, you know what I mean? It's like we we – I, I tease in my office that I'm the king of hypocrite because on one hand, I'll say you cannot submit your children to load bearing exercises. And then we put an 85 in their hands and go, have fun, Johnny, let it rip. Let's <laughs> yeah, go. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of where that's, I'm at with my son. You know, Brandon, sure. Brandon's a, a bigger guy and his son is following suit as well. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Col- Colton, Colton is a very strong five-year-old and he outweighs uh, my son Nolan by about double, about ten pounds, well, about okay. twelve pounds, right? How much does Colton weigh? Fifty-seven. Fifty-seven. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, so yeah, he outweighs Nolan by about fifteen twenty pounds. I, 
I have a hard time putting Nolan on that PW50 knowing that bike weighs like 80 pounds and he only yep. weighs he's really <laughs> struggling to hit that 40 mark. Yeah. So so we're Absolutely. on the we're on the Stasic train as long as as long as the Stasic will pull him just because dad's a little <laughs> bit worrisome about about getting him on the bike that's three times his size out there. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, and that's where the the, the uh, answer to your question is twofold. If if they haven't hit puberty, my favorite thing is take them to the playground and play freeze tag, because you know you chase them up and over the jungle gym and up and down the slide and everywhere. And that stop, pivot, accelerate it builds the agility, it builds durability in their ankles, their knees, and their hips. It builds their balance, which they miss and need. Um, so pull-ups, jump rope, anything that, you know, I hate to call it stuff that we used to do on the playground. Yeah. Let them go do that. <laughs> you know, just let them go do that. Now, Sounds they're like you still convince gonna... them to do that better than you could lifting weights as well, too, because a lot of kids, these <laughs> attention, right. attention spans don't last too long. <laughs> well, and that opens up another Pandora's problem because these kids are taught to focus on five-second increments, and then we were asking them to race for 15 to 20 to 60 to 90 minutes. Mm -hmm. So we set them up for failure by letting them be on Snapchat and all this other garbage. <laughs> the other side of the equation is weightlifting is absolutely imperative and it needs to be what we call sports specific it's not about going to the gym and using a flat bench and all this other stuff because when you look at the way our human body moves in a three-dimensional plane and then we jump on the motorcycle that motorcycle also moves in a three-dimensional plane so think about it both the human and the motorcycle moves in what's going on in the front and the back on the motorcycle would be in front and behind the pegs what happens on the left and the right, left and right peg? What happens above and below the seat on the human body, above and below the belly button? So for the listeners that are not driving in the car, this is a big science word. It's called proprioceptive balance. If you're not driving and you're listening to this podcast, I want you to, to stand on one leg. I want you guys to do it in the studio if you can. <laughs> okay. S stand on one leg. Make sure that the leg that's not on the ground, make sure it's bent at 90 degrees at your knee so your foot's directly behind you. Okay. So stand on one leg. All right, we're doing it. <laughs> bend the other leg at 90 degrees. Now look across the room and focus on something. And then when I count to three, close your eyes. One, two, three, close your eyes. And try not to put the other foot down. Yeah, it's pretty tough. Yeah, that gets tough quick. <laughs> it gets tough quick. That is a simple illustration of proprioceptive balance. Because if you all of a sudden hit something and you get a kicker going through the woods and all of a sudden the front end drops, well, you know to hold the throttle wide open, it brings the rear end down. You hit something and that front wheel pops straight up, you know, tap the rear brake. It's just a law of physics. Yeah. But when that bike kicks sideways that balance that you just felt has to be honed in. Now let's go back to finishing your question. If you're in the gym, what good is it for you to go and do a seated bicep curl when the machine is taking all the balance and all you're doing is working one muscle, your bicep, it's actually two biceps, right? Yeah. The challenge is, is that bicep workout is not specific to pushing and pulling a motorcycle because there's no movement and there's no instability incorporated into that exercise so go to the gym stand on one leg and then do a bicep curl stand on one leg do a shoulder press why 
because you're breaking a three-dimensional plane. You have one foot behind you, so that immediately makes your, let's say you're standing on your left foot, your left glutes, your butt, your deep lateral rotators around the head of the femur, the four muscles on the front of your leg, the quads, the three on the back hamstring, your two calf muscles, gastrox, and you have 40 muscles in your feet. That's just to stand on one foot. Hmm. But we like a sport that puts a lot of demand on, and, and I'm not a riding coach. There are some really good riding coaches out there. What I try to do is I try to make sure that the rider has the balance, the strength, and the endurance. So that when I put them in the hands of a riding coach, no matter what that riding coach asks him or her to do, they can do it for as long as what's requested. That's how we build speed. So when you say strength training shouldn't be part of it, because I know I've been around since 78. Hey, weightlifting causes arm pump. Not true. Hey, you know, drinking milk causes arm pump. Not true. Okay. So when you start to look at the importance, because when I'm looking at developing an athlete, everything has to be in pairs. Strength is of no value without flexibility. Flexibility is of no value without strength. But then if I'm looking at trying to improve your ability to thread the needle and I need you to look further ahead, that's proprioceptive balance. But nobody practices proprioceptive balance. How many times have you guys been told, look further ahead? Oh, yeah, every time. <laughs> A gazillion times? Yeah. 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 But yet we don't have the muscular, and here's the key word, literally, the muscular balance to look further ahead. And then when you look at when we get into nutrition, if somebody has low blood sugar, their ability to hit their marks starts to become negatively affected. And then people say, well, I, I threw anchor. I went backwards. Well, is that a fitness issue or is that a low blood sugar issue? <laughs> you know, you think about it, your motor could dyno out at X amount of, of horsepower, right? And all of a sudden your oil's running low. The motorcycle is capable of putting out 55 horsepower. But because there's less and less oil, it's starting to grenade. It's starting to lose power. Yeah. Does that mean it's the motor wasn't specced properly? No, it's just about to grenade. Human body, not a bit different. Hmm. Hopefully those parallels make sense. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure. And you know, it's, it's awesome that you mentioned the balance and um, the training in that aspect as well, the strength training with the balance, because that's something that I actually used to do um, a lot when I was racing more. Um, okay. I made a, um, Afri and there's a name for them, and this could, I'm not sure if this workout really did help or not, but it felt like it did. Um, it was, I, I made, I, t I cut down like a, a foot long, PVC pipe that was about four inches long and okay. a two by six uh, that was probably about three foot long. And I would stand on it, balance myself out, and I would work out from that platform doing squats um, and just doing a lot of workout, body weight workouts while I was standing on that, keeping my balance. I felt like it had to help somewhat. And now <laughs> that I'm hearing you talk about this, um, it, it seems like I was making the right moves doing that. <laughs> sure. Nope. You're doing a great job. We actually, uh, we, we do instructional videos for endo board. It's, yeah. it's mm -hmm. all about proprioceptive balance. Um, if you guys remember man and machine, uh, Rob was a very smart engineer and he's the one that came up with the rock and roll push-up bars. The one that had like a semicircle, you get down in a push-up position and the bars would rock left to right. 
You, um, he also, uh, you could take that same bar system and you could hook it up to a Concept 2 rower. And that way it was an anatomically correct position, the width of your handlebars. Okay. So your intuition was absolutely correct. Um, for the listeners, uh, take a big beach towel, fold it over, stand on the beach towel with one leg, just create instability. Um, when you're going to bed at night, tonight, and you go to brush your teeth, simply stand on your weaker leg, your less talented leg, the one that has the least amount of balance, and brush your teeth. Because that forward motion, forwards and backwards of brushing your teeth, believe it or not, will make the muscles on the backside of your body have to stabilize so you don't fall over in the sink. <laughs> so it's an easy way when you're in the grocery store, you're at the airport, stand on one leg. You look like a goofball, <laughs> but what you don't, what you don't realize is that's helping your corner speed. It's helping your ability to stand up and, and again, go through the woods without even thinking about it. Believe it or not, you'll blitz rock gardens the same way because you're not looking, staring at your front wheel. You're think about this. If you guys go ripping through the woods and you hit an exposed root, and that rear end all of a sudden kicks to the left or swaps to the right, your proprioceptive balance is what should bring it back. Yeah, you can hammer the throttle if you want to, but it's the proprioceptive balance. Of, we've all been told, right on your toes, squeeze your knees, right? Mm -hmm. Well, the proprioceptive balance has to bring that back. Well, that's why your strength has to be done on a fit ball. Because if I'm laying on my back doing a sit-up, that ball wants to shift 360 degrees. So that see where we're going with if you're using a stationary machine, it takes exactly what we need for the motorcycle out of the equation. Like you said, you can bench 600 pounds, but then it's not applicable to the motorcycle because the bench doesn't move. Doesn't move. So I take dumbbells, have your athlete lay flat on his or her back and then do regular shoulder, uh, do regular bench press <laughs> Two two benefits. I want you guys to visualize doing a bench press exercise, arms straight out in front of you, and you're going to lower that weight down. If you're sitting on a stationary bench, what does that do? It takes the head of your humerus, mm -hmm. the upper arm bone. Yeah. It just impinges it in the back of your shoulder. How many guys do you know have shoulder rotation issues because they shredded them bench pressing? Right. I know a ton of them. Yeah. Maybe one here. If you're on a fit ball, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there you go, right there in your own studio. If you're on a football and you put that weight, it at least allows the head of the humerus to go back. That joint is called the glenoid humeral joint. It lets that shoulder naturally rotate, but it doesn't abut against a, a stiff bench. So you reduce the risk of injuries in your shoulder. You build balance. And, of course, you build the anterior deltoid, the front of your shoulder, your chest muscles. Now we're back into building muscle symmetry difference building the balance between the front of the body and the back of the body left of the body right of the body above the belly button and below and then you can take that into balancing it with strength and flexibility complement that with sleep and food now we've got mike witowski moving to where he should be now we can see Stu baylor going to the next level i don't work with Stu. he did reach out to me last year was inquiring but um, i think that's when he wasn't quite sure what was going on with the team and you know because he wasn't I think he had gotten a fill-in ride at Yamaha at that time. Yeah. yeah. But um, but I would love to work with him. But like I say, you know, Stu does his own thing, and it's obviously working. And I liked what Mike said. He he kind of puts a fun facade up, but he's he's a pit bull. That's yeah. that's what I love about him. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah. Uh, Coach Rob, you have given us 
I, I would say this is a podcast that guys are going to listen to several times because there's, oh, there's a lot of nuggets in it for sure. <laughs> um, yeah. Unfortunately, we're I, starting to run a little bit short I on time. I could hear another three hours and oh, listen yeah. to it. Oh, I could, I could too. <laughs> no I could worries. Too. But, uh, Thanks for having me. Oh, absolutely. And we definitely want to have you on again. Uh, Brandon, you got one more? Yeah. Where So us normal people that ride on the weekends and stuff, where, like, say, if we want to get a hold of you and maybe do your program, or do, how do we do that? Where do we go? Yes, sir. Uh, you can go to CompleteRacingSolutions.com. That's our website. And you'll see there's a drop-down tab for programs. We have uh, the one that I would recommend for all the listeners is we have a membership area. It's 19 bucks a month. I do two live webinars with everybody. Um, we have three different training programs. We have, uh, think about it, somebody who can ride two or two or more times during the week. That's what we call our full-time program. If you can ride only on the weekends, we call that the weekend warrior. And we do have people in there that unfortunately can't ride because of injuries or logistics. So we have just a straight fitness program there as well. Inside there, there is nutrition, strength, flexibility, sports psychology. And then we have what we call concept videos. Like people ask if chiropractors are good or what is contrast therapy or, you know, they have a multitude of questions. So, Absolutely. Um, I appreciate anybody to go there. But here's the key for all your listeners. I'm going to give you my personal email address. It's Rob, R-O-B-B, at CoachRob.com. And Coach Rob is with two Bs as well. If you have a frustration, you do not have to be a paying client. That's not what I'm interested in. What I'm more interested in is people understanding the why behind they should do or not do something. And then we get a lot of questions. Hey, I've been fighting. I've been dealing with this for three years. What do you think? And I will engage with you via email. Uh, that's I, I offer that up to all your listeners. Uh, I don't care where you're at as a racer. Let us know. How can we help? It's not about trying to get into your pocketbook as much as it is. I want more people durable. I want more people racing and enjoying what the three of us love. And uh, everybody wants to go faster. Everybody wants to do it longer. And that was the genesis behind us even starting this division. Like I said, it's uh, it's our smallest division, but it's the one I love the most. So uh, I hope I can help in any way possible. Yeah, absolutely. And we went um, to all of our listeners. Once we uh, make the post broadcasting this show on Instagram, we mm -hmm. will we will put your information on that post. That way they can okay. uh, look there for reference as well. And we'll share uh, your Instagram page as well. And um, perfect, Coach Rob. Um, like I said, this is well, yeah, we'll have to have you back on because yeah, I feel like we. Didn't get enough. No, we definitely. I, haven't. I didn't yeah. get enough. I, yeah, my, my daughter has a uh, has a uh, volleyball game starting in about forty five minutes. Or, or oh my one, goodness! Yeah, this would definitely be going on uh, um, uh, a multi hour podcast because I'm I'm I think I have more questions now uh, that I didn't even know I had just coming into this podcast. So uh, there you go, and we'll write them down and, and let's make sure we get through them on the next show for sure. And if I'm not mistaken, you don't have to be a rider. Uh, yeah, if, if you want to, if, if mom's listening, driving down the road and you want to lose 20 pounds, head up coach Rob, right? Cause you got to, that's exactly it. Um, we, we, just so the listeners, we have a weight loss and general fitness division. We have a motorsports division. We have an endurance division and we have what we call ball and stick. So anything that includes acceleration, deceleration, pivot, that's in ball and stick sport. And, uh, our, our general fitness and weight loss is, is a very large division as well. 
happy to help everybody. If your son's or daughter's playing soccer, basketball, football, or if they love moto and off-road like we do, happy to help in any way because let's face it, physiology is physiology and nutrition is nutrition. I wish I could get rid of Google because there's <laughs> so much misinformation out there that the parents are pulling their hair out. And that's what we're here to do. As you heard earlier, I bring my own experience. I bring what I learned at the Olympic Training Center. I bring my educational background, textbook-wise. But at the end of the day, textbook only goes so far. You, the individual, are at a place, or your son or daughter is at a place. And we have to decipher all the info, figure out where you're at, and get you to where you need to be. It's not always so cut and dry the way a textbook likes to elaborate. So that's what we're here to do and happy to help. And again, guys, thank you so much for having me on the show. It was, a, it was an honor and a privilege. Absolutely. Yeah, we really appreciate and, yeah it. thanks for coming on the show again. Uh, looking forward to talking to you again. Maybe a um, winter off-season, uh, you know, yeah. something something that focuses on off-season training. Uh, <clears throat> sometime this winter would be great to uh, talk about. Sounds good. You just let me know. You've got my numbers. All Absolutely. Right. Thanks, Coach Rob. Uh, we right. appreciate talking to you. Have a great day. You too, guys. Take care. All right, thank Bye-bye. you. All right, guys. That was Coach Rob. Man, like I said, this podcast could have gone on for oh, multiple yeah. hours Lots for of sure. Information. A lot of information. The um, si- I love the science behind it. Like, so it much gets science. In depth. Like, oh, yeah. I'm going to go back and listen to it several times, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you, oh, you yeah, are I as will. well, Brandon. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, his program sounds like something that's very um, doable for anybody. Anybody. Of, yeah. Anybody. Anybody. Yeah. Racers. Um, you know, football players. Yeah. Your boys playing football yeah, now. Football. So, possibly wrestling. Possibly wrestling. Uh, wives. Uh, yeah. You know. It's, it's not it, saying you're not fit, but if you want to get fit, <laughs> hey, even if you are fit, if you want to maintain it, I mean, if you're, well, at the, you know, if you want to be at the GNCCs next year, strutting your stuff, yeah. you know, <laughs> so the beach bod, you get the race bod, right? That's right. That's right. That's right. So, hey guys, we're going to go ahead and end the show. We want to thank Guts Racing, Seal Savers, Coach Rob. <laughs> Coach Rob, those, we want to thank those sponsors for coming on this show, supporting this show. Honestly, we really could not do this show without them. Uh, we got the new equipment that we have that you guys have commented and said it sounds like it's even better now, yeah. uh, clearer sounding. That's because of these awesome, awesome yes. sponsors that we have. Guts Racing, Seal Savers. Thank you guys for uh, supporting our show. Go to Seal Savers and uh, type in capital... S split line and save yourself 25% on any of their products. We would appreciate it. And uh, we uh, are going to be giving another seat cover away here in the the month of October. Um, So be looking for that contest. Thanks again to coach Rob for coming on and split line. We are out. Peace. Peace.